0: Welcome to the Contending for the Word podcast, a podcast devoted to helping inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. Now join our host for today's episode and enjoy. Well, welcome back to Contending for the Word. My name is Dave, and I'm today's host for this show and today we're gonna we're gonna take a pause from you know talking about false teachers and movements and ideologies, and, and we're gonna take a step back because I think it's important that we do this from time to time, and just pause and reflect on why we do this. What is our motivation for talking about these things? And and one of the reasons that I I like to do this from time to time is because I don't think that for many people. Uh, we, we think about, why are we doing this? Why are we talking about false teachers? We we know that we're supposed to, but why does Scripture talk about uh, this? What does Scripture say about what we're to do and why we're to do it? And, and it's so important. You know, Our the only offensive weapon that Paul lists in Ephesians 6 is the word of God, the 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 word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, Hebrews four twelve very clearly tells us that the Word of God is sharper than any two edged sword, and so the sword that we have. This is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, and binding Word of God. That is, the Word of God is reliable, it's trustworthy, it's without error, it's without the possibility of error, it's for our life and godliness, and it's clear, and it's binding on our lives. So we must, must understand what the Word of God has to say and how the Word of God uh, tells us to engage in these matters. And so we're not going to look at all the scriptures uh, as it pertains to this because we're going to come back to these matters uh, as we go on. And just to be clear, we're, we're only going to do one of these types of episodes every now and again. But um, we have a great lineup of episodes coming from talking about spiritual abuse to uh, people that are, are undermining the authority of the Word of God, and we're going to be adding more people to our team here. So uh, I'm really excited about what's happening at Contending for the Word, and I hope that you are as well. So let's get into our episode today. And our first passage that we're going to look at today is Ephesians 5.11, which says, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, Paul, in Ephesians 5.11-14, he's going to make it plain, he does make it plain, that living apart from the darkness does not mean withdrawing completely from the world. Instead, we're to walk as children of the light. It means not engaging in the sins of the unbelieving culture, even as we love the sinners around us. And when it comes to interacting with the world, we're not forbidden from making friends with those who are enslaved to sin. Rather, what we are forbidden from doing is acting in ways that displease God. Paul explains here in our text today that we're not to take merely a defensive stance against dark deeds and stay away from them. Our approach must be offensive. We are to expose unfruitful works of darkness. Now, the interplay in the immediate context between light and darkness helps us to understand how this exposure happens in verses 7 through 14 of Ephesians 5. That which is hidden in the darkness can be revealed only when the light shines on it. And by walking in Christ, we shine the light of holiness on the dark recesses of our world. Our efforts to live sanctified lives, they stand in stark contrast to the evils of our fallen culture, thereby exposing sinners for who they truly are and unveiling what they truly deserve, the wrath of God. So our preaching of the gospel goes hand in hand with such living so that those whose deeds are exposed might know that they will escape the darkness if they only come in repentance and faith to Christ alone. Only two responses can follow such exposure. Many will hate the light and those whose lies provide the illumination, and they will try to stamp out that light and silence the church. Others will feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and see the darkness of their deeds. They will turn from sin to Christ alone and thereby begin to glorify their Creator and Lord and King. The light of God that shines through us both illumines and transforms and exposes and it cleanses. Those whom the light redeems become visible, and that which is visible is light, as we see in Ephesians 5:13 through 14 Firmly dark individuals are cleansed and become lights through whom our Savior and King and Lord shines brightly. This is what happens at our conversion when we're transferred from the kingdom of, of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus, as we see in Colossians 1:13 through 13-14. And we continue to become ever brighter lights as we, through confession and repentance in Christ, expose our sin to God and even flee from it and put it to death as uh, Romans 6.11 says that we're to do. We're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Matthew Henry says, we must witness against the sins of others and endeavor to convince them of their sinfulness in words, but especially by the holiness of our lives. You see, our holy living has consequences not only for our own sanctification, but also for the eternal good of others. As we seek to please God, humbly admitting how we fall short of his standards, we provide a beacon of hope to those trapped in the darkness of sin. So it matters, see, even here at the start, it matters how we're to grow. In the Lord, it matters that we're, we're growing in the Lord, that that we're grounded, being grounded and shaped by the word as we're engaging in these things. This is so important. We need to remember that chapters four through six of Ephesians, these are imperatives. These are commands given and, and these commands are able to be fulfilled by those who are in Christ. Those who have been made, as Paul would say in, if you, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, they're new creations in Christ. That is to say the grace of God fuels what we're to do. We have a new identity in Christ. And that new identity through our union with Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it, it fuels our ability to obey commands like this. And we're going to talk about how we should respond to those, you know, who say, you know, this is just judging people and dealing with that. But even at the outset, we can say that Paul very clearly talks about we are to expose the works of darkness. But it's not just in our speech that we're to do that. Our lives are to be fundamentally different. We belong to Christ. We are His, and He is ours. Let's look now at a text like 1 Peter 3.15, which says this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. Notice, we're to honor Christ the Lord as holy. This takes us back, by the way, to 1 Peter uh, 1, 13, uh, and it reminds us there that Christ himself is holy. And the reason that we are can honor Christ the Lord as holy, according to Peter, uh, by the way, the, the apostles often use language and, and imagery even that, that draw, should draw our mind back to other texts. Well, the reason that we can honor Christ the Lord as holy, like we were just talking about, is because we're new creations in Christ. We belong to Christ. We are His, and He is ours. And so the reason that we would even esteem Christ, the reason, the reason that we would love Him, is we belong to the Lord. We belong to Him. And then from this understanding then, Peter says that we are to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you and to deal with gentleness and respect. You know, I've, I've often said apologetics is not only about just giving an answer for the reason for your, the hope that you have. It's about the totality of your life. And, and, but even behind the way that we view our life is the worldview that we have. And where, do we, or where are we to get our worldview as Christians? We're to get it in the Word of God. And the Word of God is the only way to know God. This is why this ministry, this podcast, is called Contending for the Word. Because what we're doing is we're, we're taking you back to what the Word of God says. And we're taking you back to what the church has taught. And showing you very clearly... This is what the Word of God says. This is what, how the church is responding to it. There's nothing new, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And so we don't need to make it up. We, we already have the best offensive weapon in the Word of God to respond to false teaching. And so, so we need to be growing in the grace of God ourselves, and we need to be pre- preparing ourselves, all of us, and that's what a podcast like this is about. It's it's to help you. It's to equip you to prepare you as you go out into your world, so that you can deal with the false ideologies and philosophies and other things going on in the church and in our culture today, and you can give an answer for the reason for the hope that is in you, and yet do it as Peter says with gentleness and respect. By the way as we look at a text like Galatians five twenty two through 23, gentleness is there as well. These, these are things that the Spirit is producing in our lives as we're reading the Word, as we're studying the Word, as we're hearing the Word preached by a biblically qualified male pastor. So let's get into our text. 1 Peter 3.15. Let me just read that one more time. It says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. You know, as people who have identified with the Lord Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, we should not be surprised when persecution comes our way. After all, suffering is part of our calling as Christians, according to Peter in 1 Peter 2.21. Whether mild or even intense persecution and discrimination are an inevitable result of our profession of faith in Christ. And left to ourselves, we would not be able to withstand the onslaught of fallen humanity. However, we have not been left to ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit who, by illuminating our hearts and, and minds to understand his word, enables us to stand firm in our faith. And we need this as we engage against false teaching and ideology. We need the reminder. We need the instruction. And sometimes, let's just be honest, we need the to be confronted with our own apathy uh, towards the spiritual uh, disciplines and through even the corporate gathering with God's people. It can wear you down speaking against these things. And, and we need to ourselves be in the Word. We need to be in the Word of God. And, and this is why in His providence, God has provided us with the first epistle of Peter to give us a powerful reminder of his work and his strong encouragement to stand for Christ in the midst of great suffering. We have been reminded that we have been brought by God into a living hope of salvation that can never be taken away from those with true saving faith in 1 Peter one through 1-12. Because of this, we are now God's true people and will receive all the blessings promised to his children, as we see in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. As a result, we must live lives that reflect holiness and love, as we just talked about uh, and we looked at in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25, and we see this as well in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, and 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Doing this is not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to result in suffering. And yet to stand firm for Christ in the middle of such difficulty, it means that we patiently endure suffering and even submit to God's established authority structures. Rather than be concerned with retaliating against those who cause us to suffer, we we must instead offer them blessing. We must bless those who persecute us. We must pray for them. And that we must bless those who persecute us, it shows that we are not always in, always to endure suffering in silence. In fact, our passage today confirms us, calling us in 1 Peter 3.15 to give a gentle and even reasonable answer to those who ask us about our hope in Christ. And as we respond to suffering with patience and blessing those who would do harm to us. Some will want to know what motivates us to do so. That's why we need to have the reminders. That's why we need to come back to these things again and again, to remind us, this is why we do this. And we need to continue to grow. We need to grow in our skill of handling God's word. We need to grow in our skill in handling arguments fairly and representing people and positions uh, fairly so that, you know what, we're dealing with arguments. We're not arguing with people. Arguing with people is folly. But, but dealing with arguments with God's word, that is how we're going to speak the truth in love. That That's how we're going to show the difference between what the word of God says and what the church says and, and what just an opinion is. See, too many people, they just want to give an opinion. They don't want to deal with facts and ideas and 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 deal with substantive arguments. But on this show, we want to deal with substantive arguments. We want to deal like in an academic way, you have to present the evidence for why you're arguing against a particular view. And in the same way as Christians, we should be ready to do that. If we're to give an answer for the reason for the hope, we need to know what that hope is. We need to know what motivates us to that hope. And we need to be equipped to be able to give answers for that hope. And so that's why we're doing this. We, we all must grow in our ability to engage as apologists. And so we must all equip ourselves to defend the faith. That's what you're being—that's what uh, we're doing here on this show. We're, we're aiming to equip you so that you can defend the faith. And yet, in our defense, we still must be gentle. We must avoid the temptation to be pridefully harsh or overtly contentious so that the nonbeliever to whom we may relate may see the true character of the Lord who dwells in us by His grace through His Spirit. Are you equipped to be a defender of the faith? Have you studied such things such as the historical background of Scripture and the evidence for Christ's resurrection so you can answer critics of our faith? As you answer, are you concerned with being gentle and respectful? We'll take some time today to review evidences for the Christian faith and afterward spend time focusing on the gentleness of Christ and your need to imitate him in your defense. Jude 3 says this, Beloved, though I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you, to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, Jude declares his intentions in writing this short letter. In fact, we see in verse 3, which I just read, that Jude's original purpose in composing his epistle was to discuss the common salvation that they had. And yet this initial motivation was put on hold because circumstances made it necessary for Jude to exhort his audience to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Well, we must ask the question here, why did Jude find it necessary to urge his audience to fight? In verse 4, he explains that certain ungodly people had crept into the church, people who, as false teachers, were designated long ago for condemnation. Walls again ground ground among, among the lambs, and the sheep needed to be warned, lest they would fall prey to deception. These teachers perverted the grace of God into sensuality and denied our only master and lord Jesus Christ. While the exact details of their false words are unknown, it is clear these teachers were claiming to be Christians while living immoral lifestyles as we see in Jude 7. Now, the term "rendered ungodly in Jude 4 was often used by Jews to describe the ethical godlessness practiced in the ancient Greek culture. And using the grace of God as an excuse, these teachers were denying the sovereign right of the Lord Jesus to determine moral behavior, substituting their own standards instead. And yet such lawless living is anathema to the faith delivered to the saints mentioned in Jude 3. Here, faith is used to describe the content of what is believed by Christians. It it includes such things as a simple proclamation of the gospel, as well as the moral teaching of the apostles. The faith was once and for all delivered by God through his, uh, through his apostles. It's not open to change, it's not open to revision, it's or addition. We find its content in the pages of the Word of God, which contain all the doctrine that's profitable for our instruction, as Paul says in Second Timothy 3:14 uh, through17. And though this faith was once and for all delivered, this letter and the course of church history for that matter, it makes it clear that this faith cannot be granted but must be zealously guarded and defended. And so when we contend for the purity of the gospel, we, unlike false teachers, submit to the sovereignty of Christ. Now, the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, it's assaulted in a variety of ways in our day. Some overtly deny gospel truth. Some add new revelations from the spirit or even church tradition to the apostolic testimony. Some ignore their responsibility to become well-grounded in doctrine. Take some time today to consider how you must contend for the faith where you live and where you work. Pray God would help you by his grace through his word to learn to stand for the faith established in his word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22 says this, Test everything, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So testing everything, this is a call for discernment. In the context of the very basic Christian commands, Paul says that discernment is crucial to the Christian life. Now, many Christians, they view discernment in the wrong way. Some Christians think discernment is just a pastor's job as he watches the flock. Well, that would be partially true, as most of the calls for discernment in the New Testament are to church leaders like in 1 Timothy 4, 6-7, 1 Timothy 4:13, 1 Timothy 4:16, and Titus 1, 9. Every pastor is required to be skilled in the teaching of the Word of God and able to refute unsound doctrine. Discernment, though, is not only the duty of pastors and elders, we must say. The same careful discernment that Paul demanded of pastors and elders is a duty of every christian first thessalonians five twenty one 21 we must remember is written to the entire church to examine everything carefully in fact, the Koinean Greek, the language that the, most of the New Testament is written in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, the word is examine everything. The idea conveyed by the word carefully is included in the Greek word examine dochismo. Elsewhere in the New Testament, this word is translated analyzed, test, or proved. This word it refers to the process of testing something to reveal its genuineness, such as the testing of precious metals. So Paul wanted believers to scrutinize everything they hear to perceive that it is genuine to distinguish between true and false, to separate the good from evil. In other words, Paul wants them to examine everything critically. The discernment that Paul is calling for in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 is doctrinal discernment. You know, we often hear today, I, I hear this in comment sections on videos that we do about false teachers. Well, you're just judging them. You're just judging these people. But the question is, you might have been told this, maybe you have. As a Christian, you're not to judge. After all, such an argument reasons that Matthew 7, 1 says, don't judge. What Jesus condemned was the hypocritical judgment of those who held others to a higher standard than they were willing to live by. Well, elsewhere in Scripture, we're forbidden uh, to judge others' motives or even their attitudes. We're not able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart, as Hebrews 4.12 says. Only God can judge the heart because only God can see it, as we see in 1 Samuel 16.17. The Lord alone knows the secrets of the heart, as we see in Psalm 44.21. The Lord alone can weigh the motives therein, as we see in Psalm 16.2. He alone, according to Romans 2.16, will judge the secrets of men's hearts through Christ. Jesus. Now, the scriptures make it clear that hypocritical judging and even judging of others' thoughts and motives, that's not what Christians are to do. Throughout the word of God, the people of God are urged to judge between truth and error, between right and wrong, between good and the devil. Jesus in John 7:24 says, "Judge with right judgment." Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 10:15 saying, "I speak as to sensible people; judge for yourselves what I say." God requires Christians to be discriminating when it comes to matters of sound doctrine. In fact, we as Christians are to judge one another with regards to acts of sin as we see in 1 Corinthians 5 12-13. This speaks of the same process of discipline outlined by Jesus himself in Matthew eighteen fifteen through 20 This process is called church discipline. Most importantly, every Christian should examine themselves to see if they have judged rightly according to 1 Corinthians 11-31 which says, If we judged ourselves truly, we ourselves would not be judged. So this call for the believer to search their own hearts paul calls for this kind of self-examination every time believers partake of the lord's supper in 1 corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28 so the discernment christians are called to engage in is doctrinal discernment this is we are to deal with substantive arguments we're not to attack people personally That's the point. We need to deal with substantive arguments, and we need to explain very clearly, this is why this teaching does not accord with the Word of God, and here's the reasons why. And this is what the church has taught. We don't have to make these things up. That's why we need to be careful. We need to be slow. We need to be as we need to heed James one nineteen to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And we need to even take the time to really understand what the other person is saying, so that we can accurately and fairly represent them. This might even be we need to go into their uh, you know theological tradition and understand what they mean and how that that language was used in their tradition, uh, so that we can accurately and fairly represent them. It, it might mean that we need to spend more time studying a various topic before we speak out against it. You know, one of the things is, is, is we're, to, we're, we're to be slow to speak, J- James says. And and that's a good word for us. Slow down. Don't be so concerned to pump out content and discernment videos, friends. Uh, be slow to speak. Take your time. Listen. Learn. Even watch the videos. I know that that's hard to watch some of these guys and, and gals talk. Um, I, I am with you on that. I, it can be incredibly discouraging even frustrating, but but it's worth it to slow down, to deal with arguments, to understand what's being said, and then to offer a response so that you can be helpful and you can speak the truth in love. This is why also we should be in the Word ourselves, uh, grounded in the Word personally and even corporately in a local church under biblically qualified pastors. Now, the testing of truth that Paul calls for, it's not merely an academic exercise. It demands an active twofold response. First, there is the positive test. Whatever is biblical, he says, and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5:21, "Hold fast what is good." Now, this echoes Romans 12:9, which says, "Abhor what is evil; hold fast what is good." The expression "hold fast" or "cling to" it speaks of jealousy, safeguarding the truth. Paul is calling for the same kind of watchfulness that he demanded of Timothy when he wrote to him in 1 Timothy 6:20 and 2 Timothy 1:13 through 14. The truth is given into our custody, and we are charged with guarding it against every possible threat. This describes a militant, even a defensive, a protective stance against anything that undermines the truth or does violence to it in any way. We must hold the truth securely. We must defend it zealously. We must preserve it from all threats. To placate the enemies of truth or to lower our guard is to violate this command. Hold fast also carries the idea of embracing something. It goes beyond just that which is good and even speaks of loving the truth with all of one's strength. Those who are truly discerning are passionately committed to sound doctrine to the truth, to that which is inspired by God and is revealed in his word. Now, we must say every Christian is to have this attitude of discernment. Paul defines salvation as loving the truth in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. And he told the Corinthians they proved their salvation by holding fast to the gospel he delivered in 1 Corinthians 15.2. Those who fail to hold fast to the saving message of Christ are those who have believed in vain. That is, their faith was empty to begin with. The apostle John in 1 John 2:19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. That is to say, all true believers hold fast to the gospel. Paul urged the Thessalonians to nurture and even cultivate their love for the truth and to let it rule their thinking. He wanted them to cultivate a conscious commitment to all the word of God, faithfulness to sound doctrine, a pattern of holding fast to all the truth that is good. This attitude it calls for is incompatible with the suggestion that we should lay doctrine aside for the sake of unity. That view cannot be reconciled with the opinion that hard truths should be downplayed to make God's word more palatable to unbelievers. This is contrary to the notion that personal experience takes precedence over objective truth revealed in the word. God has given his people his truth objectively in his word. The word of God is a treasure that we must protect at all costs. This is the opposite of an undiscerning faith, and Paul leaves no room for rote tradition. He makes no place for a blind, irrational faith that refuses to consider the authenticity of its object and just accepts at face value everything that claims to be true. He rules out the kind of faith that is driven by feelings, by emotion, by human imagination. Instead, we are to identify what is good by even examining everything carefully, objectively, rationally, using Scripture as a our standard now no human teacher no personal experience no strong feeling is exempt from this objective test experience and feelings no matter how powerful do not determine what is true rather those things themselves must be subjected to the test of whether it is revealed in the word of god that which is good is the truth that accords with the word The word good is kalos. It means something good. It isn't just something that is nice to take in or even behold. It speaks of something good in itself, something genuine, something true, something noble, something right. It does not refer to satisfying the flesh. It refers to that which is good, which is true, which is accurate, which is authentic, which is dependable, that which is in agreement with the infallible word of God. That is the without error and without possibility of error word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5:21 he says abstain from every form of evil. And the word abstain, it's a powerful word meaning to hold oneself back, to keep away from or shun. It is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians 4:3, abstain from sexual immorality. In 1 Peter 2:11 abstain from the passions of the flesh. It calls for a radical separation from evil. And this includes evil behavior. And now, in this context, it speaks to evil teaching to false doctrine. And when you find something that does not line up with the Word of God, something that is untrue, something erroneous, or contrary to the Word of God, you are to shun it. Scripture does not permit believers to expose themselves to evil. Now, some people believe that the only way to defend against false doctrine is to study it, to become proficient, at it, to master all of its nuances, and then refute it. The problem is, as one immerses themselves in false doctrine. They're going to become influenced by it. Some Christians immerse themselves in philosophy and entertainment and culture or society. They feel such a strategy will strengthen their witness to unbelievers. But our focus as Christians should be on knowing the truth. Error is to be shunned. Now let's stop here. Now you might have just heard that what I just said about you know not immersing yourself in in what a false teacher says you might think well does does that mean then that I I shouldn't watch any videos by them or anything what what we're talking about is priority the priority should be that you are grounded and shaped in and by the word you should be grounded and shaped by by what the church has said now, for some people, like a new Christian or something like that, I would advise very strongly against a new Christian uh, watching false teacher videos. And the, and the, unless unless that unless the host is very solid, like like we are here at contending for the word, the the only people that are going to come on this show are very solid and mature Christians, people who are are committed to the truth and and to helping you understand these things so that you can stand against them. There is a place for that. But, the, but what I meant in that previous section here about, about immersing yourself is if that's all that you're doing, if all you're doing is watching false teacher videos after false teacher videos and, and you're not reading and studying the Bible yourself— That is a real danger. We are to be grounded first and shaped by the Word of God. And hearing and learning from podcasts and videos that expose false teachers and philosophies, it can be incredibly helpful and clarifying to understand what true and right doctrine is over and against what false doctrine is. We can learn so much from that, and there's value in that. But our first priority as Christians should be ourselves to be in the word, to be reading it, to studying it, to meditating on it, to memorizing it ourselves, and to being under the word in a local church where we're under a biblically qualified male pastor who is going to help us to grow in our skill and handling of the word of God and where we can be shepherded by biblically qualified male pastors. Believers cannot recede into a monastic existence to escape exposure to every evil influence, but neither are we to be experts as I'm talking about here about evil. Romans 16:19 uh, says this, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, a U.S. Treasury agent does not need to study counterfeit money to spot it. They study genuine dollar bills to make sure they master the real thing. Then when they find bogus money, they recognize it. Detecting spiritual counterfeit, it requires the same discipline. Master the truth to refute error. Study the truth. Hold fast to the faithful word. Then you're going to be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Paul wrote, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so Paul rules out what we call syncretism. Syncretism is a practice of blending ideas from different religions and philosophies. Uh, I have witnessed this over the years many times and, and heard people say, I believe in Christianity plus I believe in this philosophy. That's the wrong idea. That's syncretism. It's not whatever we believe that matters. It's what is in the word of God. The only proper response that we must have to false teaching is to shun it, to expose it erroneous doctrine is is not a place to look for the truth satan is subtle he often sabotages the truth by mixing it with air truth mixed with air is far more effective and even far more destructive than a straightforward contradiction to the truth Believers, we should use discernment with regard to what we listen to on Christian radio and even television. If you do not use discernment, then you are a prime target for doctrinal deception. If you think everyone who appears to love the truth does, then you don't understand the wiles of Satan. 2 Corinthians 11, 14-15 says, Satan distinguishes himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now, Satan also distinguishes lies his truth he doesn't always wage war openly against the gospel he is much more likely to attack the church by infiltrating it with subtle air he uses the Trojan horse strategy by placing false teachers in the church where they can secretly bring in destructive heresies according to second Peter 2 1 he puts his lies in the mouth of someone who claims to speak for Jesus Christ somebody likable somebody appealing and then he spreads his perverse lies in the church where they can draw away Christ's disciples as we see in Acts 20, 30. He attaches Bible verses to his lies as we see him do in Matthew 4, 6. He uses deception. He uses hypocrisy. He disguises falsehood as truth. He loves syncretism. He loves the blending of of false ideas and ideology with the truth because it makes evil look good. And this is why, dear Christian, you are to examine everything carefully to shun whatever's unsound, whatever's corrupt, whatever's erroneous. That is because erroneous doctrine is deadly to you. Millions in the church today are being overwhelmed by the Trojan horse ploy for the integration of secular ideas with biblical truth. Others are even being duped by anything labeled Christian. They don't examine anything. They don't hold fast to biblical truth. They won't shun evil. They are left vulnerable to false doctrine, have no defense against theological confusion. The apostle Paul's clear teaching in first Thessalonians five, twenty one through twenty two. It cannot be avoided, it cannot be ignored. As in the days of the early church, doctrinal error is all around us. Dr. Mueller said the tragedy that evangelicals have lost the art of biblical discernment. It must be traced to a disastrous loss of biblical knowledge. Discernment cannot survive without doctrine. God gave us his word so that we would have a measuring stick by which to examine every spiritual or even theological message we encounter. That is why we must be ourselves in the word of God. We must read it. We must study it. We must meditate on it. We must memorize it. We must apply it to our lives by the grace of God with the help of the Holy Spirit and even the help of others. We must be in a sound biblical church under sound, biblically qualified male pastors who are helping us to learn to rightly handle the word of God. And so as we, as we just talk about this today on this episode of Contending for the Word, this absolutely matters because as Christians, we are to love the Word of God. And that love for the Word is going to fuel a love for other people. As we see in the great commandment, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and love Him with all that we are. And the reason that we would ever want to expose false teaching is because we don't want to see people go to hell. We don't want to see people for whom Christ died and for whom Christ paid the penalty for, we don't want to see them in hell. We want to call all people to repent and to believe, even knowing that not everyone will repent and believe and put their hope and trust in Christ alone. But And yet we call, we warn, we expose, we do all of those things. We do the work of an We make disciples. We do it all. And we, are, we must be faithful to the word. And we must trust the Spirit to do what the Spirit does. And that is to open eyes to bring sinners from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus through the faithful teaching and preaching of the Word. And you know what? I am, I am so thankful that he has already used this show in such an amazing way. Uh, we, have, we have so many people that, that send in requests. Would you please do this? Would you please do that? Would you please cover this person? You know what? We have a list. We have a long list. And praise, praise the Lord for how he's using this show, all honor and glory to him. We're aiming to do this show, yes, to help you, yes, to help you, to give you a trusted resource so that you can share it with your friends and family, but so that you'll take it and you yourself, when when you have conversations with your friends, you have friend, conversations with your family members and, and stuff that are stuck in new age and, and in the new apostolic reformation, they're stuck in homosexuality or transgenderism or other things that we'll talk about. That, that you yourself will, will go and be bold and you'll speak the truth in love. You'll expose the darkness, not just with your words, but with your life. And that's the reality of what apologetics is all about. That is why we're doing this on this show. We don't want you only to be able to expose darkness, to be able to refute error, to deal with arguments fairly. We want you to be a well-rounded Christian we want you to see that apologetics is a whole way of doing life before the face of God, before the honor of God, and for the glory of God, to, to, to just to love the Lord, to love people, and, and to do so motivated by that love for the Lord and that love for the Word and that love for the church, to so that sinners might be saved and that they might be brought into the family of God. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of Contending for the Word. Uh, I am excited about how the Lord continues to use this show. And as we continue on, um, we have a lot of great episodes. We're going to be talking here soon about spiritual abuse. We're going to be talking about uh, the Word of God and theological liberalism and and much more. So I want to encourage you guys to subscribe, to, to share these episodes with your friends and family. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contending for the Word. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, and follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, or X. We appreciate your support.